Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal in the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Justin Norris. Justin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, great to be here. My name is Justin, and uh, I work for Percuto. We are a marketing operations and uh, enterprise automation consultancy, really specializing in uh, the Adobe ecosystem, specifically Marketo and also the Workato uh, integration automation platform. And I've spent about past 10, 15 years in marketing broadly, and then really focusing in on the operational and system side of that for the last 10 or so. And I've done a lot of attribution reporting projects. So this is a subject very near and dear to my heart. Yes, mine too. And as we were talking ahead of time, let's talk about a scenario we've both seen way too many times. And that's a marketing team gets super excited about the thing they buy and they're excited to show it off and they they put let's say attribution reports in front of their executive team and it just gets shredded yep. what is the common point of failure there do you think it's a bit multifaceted but i think ultimately it boils down to a lack of clarity on a number of fronts right up front and, and even starting from a lack of clarity about why the tool is being purchased in the first place. And to an extent, you know, the product marketing teams of all the vendors have, have maybe done their jobs a bit too well. And these, and these tools are presented as bright, shiny objects. They're going to solve all your problems and just give you all these great uh, insights out of the box. And quite often that doesn't necessarily line up with what people are actually expecting or what they need, or different people have different ideas about what this tool is going to produce. So people get these platforms, show these reports or what. I might not even just care about that. You know, if I'm the CEO or the CFO, like it's great that you have your nice report, but that's not particularly interesting to me, or I don't find that relevant or, you know, so that's, that's just one level, like just being on totally different planets in terms of why we're, we're doing this. And then the next level beyond that is maybe people agree like, okay, we want attribution or we want, you know, see how my, how marketing is sourcing opportunities or something like that. But there are disagreement on what those terms mean. And quite often, you know, the, the challenge of this is in reporting, you've got these ideas in people's minds that are often a little bit foggy or ill-defined, but it's kind of like, yeah, I know, I know this when I see it type of level of clarity. And you're trying to translate that into something that can be applied to a system, which requires absolute, you know, precision. There's really no room for ambiguity in, in how that's done. And, and that work of translation doesn't really get done. So it's only at the end when people look at it and they say that doesn't match up with the foggy sort of ill-defined ideas that I might've had, or that I may be carrying around. And so that's when you reach that point of failure. Uh, unfortunately, after all the, the effort has been already expended. Yeah, Justin, that really lines up with what I've seen. And I think operations folks in particular, and I'll let myself into this, can forget that internal selling is something that's absolutely critical to do before you even purchase a tool. So that CFO and CEO may be really interested in what you're showing, especially if it can tie out ROI finally for marketing in the truest sense of the word, yeah. but they don't know to be excited about it until you talk them through it, you involve them in the process. And then there's the really tedious task that we all have to go through of defining data points, particularly with the CFO, I'm thinking, because his team needs to be absolute or her team needs to be absolutely bought in yeah. to how you're calculating things. 
but data definitions are nuanced from business to business. Can you give some examples of definitions you've seen that just vary vastly across yeah. different business units? One example that sticks out, this is from my first experience ever doing this uh, back when I was in-house, you know, maybe uh, seven, eight years ago now, was looking at what does a customer mean? And you think, well, we, we all know what it is. Perfect example, right? Of the, I know a customer when I see it, but my customer may not be your customer. And when you get into that, it's true because is it a legal company? But then what about companies that are, you know, um, subsidiaries or there's multiple branches that are legally different. So a legal company isn't necessarily unproblematic or is it a business unit? You know, you could have one legal company, but the marketing team buys something and then the sales team buys something and maybe another group buys something else, or there's different product lines. And maybe each of them have their own instance of a specific thing. So are those multiple customers? Cause they could be different accounts in Salesforce or are they the same, or is it a buying center? So customers is totally problematic and you could spend multiple hours just talking about that and figuring out what does it mean from a practical sense? How does that actually translate into our systems, which may or may not be configured to align with that practical definition? So that's a big one. A lead is another one. I mean, that's a terribly, I don't want to say misused, but but it's used in multiple different ways in multiple different businesses. And, and nobody has a consistent definition of what a lead is. Even similarly with an opportunity. I mean, companies may have certain criteria of when they can create an opportunity, but then you get into things like, what about if there's multiple products involved or should a renewal be included or not included? Or inside uh, sales prior, do you do an early stage opportunity and then have the salesperson? It's just all exactly. Over the place. When when do they get created? Mm -hmm. MQL. I mean, when we go there, I think that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> that, one's, that one's you know known for being uh, problematic. Campaign. What is a campaign? Um, I would just love to pause for just a second and yeah. talk about how much pain businesses could save themselves if they just consistently define the MQL across. The entire business yeah like it just it makes sense you know it's a i mean while we're talking about it it's a it's a very politically fraught concept in the first place right because it isn't something that necessarily like exists out in the world like mm -hmm. that this is an mql it's it's something that businesses define themselves and typically it's it's marketing that defines it and they're also evaluated on it. So yes. it's kind of like the, the fox guarding the hen house in a way because it's like, well, we need more MQLs. Let's lower that scoring threshold or let's tweak that definition a little bit. And you end All up- All of a sudden you know, having, content syndication is flooding in and you've flooding. exceeded your number by yeah, three times. <laughs> so so it's very challenging. And you know, some people say, scrap that, that concept altogether. I'm not necessarily in that camp. But it definitely is a challenging concept because it's so political and because you know of all the reasons that we just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, when I was in sales operations, I would go over to the marketing team and we'd have to meet and hash it out and define yeah. it. And then when I was in the marketing team, I'd go over to the sales team and the inside sales team in particular and say, hey, let's look at all the different channels that are coming in. Let's look at their conversion rates and let's see if you know, we should bench some of them and nurture them instead of define them as an MQL. Mm -hmm. I know it hurts my number, but if we can accelerate pipeline development and hit more revenue, do we really care if I'm hitting my MQL number? Well, really. it takes a certain maturity of uh, the person to say that, I think. And it takes a certain maturity for the business to be okay with that. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that if you didn't hit your number, it's not like you're going to get fired or something like that. Like the business had the understanding to be. Oh right yeah. No, that. it's all about internal selling. Like we were yeah. saying earlier, like I had to go to the sales leadership team and say, 
doesn't it make sense for us to be aligned on a pipeline and revenue goal? And if I'm flooding the inside sales team with leads that aren't converting, let's say our, our uh, syndicated content is converting at a 1.7% rate, is that really a good use of their time? And I'd done it enough times where I I had math to back it up. So I could say, yeah. if we if we prioritize leads correctly, you can uncover X times more pipeline and any business leader, their ears perk up to that. So I think it's really about learning how mm -hmm. to position what you wanna do and learning what the business leaders care about ultimately, because we're all there to increase revenue, right? So if we can tie a very logical argument to revenue, we can move away from that what I feel is kind of an arbitrary MQL goal. It should be mm -hmm. about quality over quantity. To totally agree. And I think in the example that you just cited, you were demonstrating in that scenario to a combination of two abilities, which often we find people have one or the other. We have folks that are really good at the internal selling and the internal communication. We have folks that are really good, you know, operationally and like hashing out the numbers and those sorts of things. Combining those two is the kind of the superpower that I think really good ops people bring to a situation where they can really clearly understand something, define it, and then also clearly communicate it and, and persuade and bring people together. And, and you really need both of those things or else, uh, you know, well, all the problems that we've seen start to emerge. That's why I love this podcast as we can talk through these things, because I think a lot of these behaviors can be caught on to, right? So the more we think about it, this is all deeply rooted in psychology. This is talking yeah. about people's motivators and understanding what people care about and then yeah. being able to tie that back into the operational piece. So it's exciting when we get to like point out exact scenarios that really turn you from that subject matter expert into the strategic business partner. And I noticed that as well in that first situation where it wasn't necessarily my my clearly defined job at the time to help figure out what a customer meant for the company or, or different things. But I saw this, this gap, you know, with right. um, different stakeholders, maybe like really entrenched perhaps in their particular definition or their particular mindset. And that there was this opportunity to like, you know, I think ops folks that we like to like put things in boxes and have it kind of organized and like, wait, so what you're saying is this, and what you're saying is this, and what about this? And <laughs> the person that can do that, you know, has a lot of respect is really a trusted partner by people is all right they're gonna they're kind of a, a good faith neutral arbiter that can bring everybody together so absolutely that and is, i like uh, how you were able to dial into the source of conflict right like you identified the crux of the matter right like that that's a skill that's that's fantastic yeah yeah super super important so that is really ultimately what this is all about is being that kind of therapist if you like for the organization who <laughs> who processes all of this kind of unspoken stuff and and brings clarity to everyone yeah i like that i might use that going we should put it on a t-shirt mops the therapist of the oh, organization serious, serious. i like it so let's let's talk about something near and dear to both of our hearts attribution and the things that you should really discuss and define before rolling it out and there could be a long list but i think we should touch on some of them just because i know a lot of people have been burned by attribution and i feel like not going through these steps is at at the root of that yeah i would say starting with why is the most important thing like we mentioned before a lot of folks 
don't necessarily make clear what they're actually trying to accomplish, or they have some vague notion of, you know, let's do attribution. I want to show marketing's credit, you know, give marketing credit, show how show our impact. But there isn't a, a real understanding of what that should mean. Yeah. And so when you dig into, all right, what business questions do we actually want to answer? And how are we going to use this information? Sometimes folks will say, I'd like a report that shows XYZ and produce that and you look at it and then say, what is this actually telling me? And sometimes it's not telling you very much, or at least not telling you very much that's actionable or useful. So really considering how you're going to use that information. If you're not going to use it, is it worth investing time and effort to, to produce it? Maybe you should focus your time elsewhere. And so those are the like the tough ground level questions that you want to ask yourself and really get clear on. Answering questions that are going to impact business performance and then aligning with that with you know your CMO, sales, finance, all the people that you mentioned before. That's super important. And then that will also dictate the requirements of your tool. Different tools have different strengths and weaknesses. Maybe the tool that's the the industry leader doesn't actually do that thing very well or the mm-hmm. you know tool that other people are are really jazzed about. Maybe it's great, but not for that thing that you actually really care about. Maybe you don't need a tool at all. I mean, it really just depends. But until you ask those questions, you're not going to know. I'd like to touch on one word you used, and that was credit. And I see a lot of marketers using that when they try to sell attribution to the wider business. And that word alone puts sales on the defensive. So I see attribution used in a couple different ways. So one is campaign effectiveness. And if you're only considering campaign marketing activities, you can tie that to revenue and get an idea of effectiveness. Now, if you're looking to define who should get credit for the efforts leading to a sale, don't forget to bring in all of the other activities that other departments are doing. So sales will be much more apt to buy into your attribution model if you're including sales activities in that model. If, if they hear the word credit, they're going to immediately wonder why their activities aren't being considered and they're being left out of the equation. So I just want to caution people to be really careful about what language they choose to use Mm -hmm. when they go to the business to sell attribution. And then that should feed into how they build their models. So if you're truly looking for something that you can use the executive team to prove ROI, don't restrict yourself to campaign activities only. Yeah, I would agree that Credit is a dangerous word. And um, usually, even if you have the foresight to have those uh, definitional conversations up front, they will get bogged down if it's viewed through a credit lens. Because like you said, it's everyone wants more credit for themselves or their department. And it's a zero sum game. You know, there's only so many dollars that an opportunity has. And those are those pieces of the pie are going to get doled out in a particular way. And it gets even harder in bigger businesses where you've got, maybe you've got a complex partner channel or Mm -hmm. maybe resellers, maybe, you know, if every opportunity goes through a sales demo, is that demo really supposed to get credit? I mean, it's, you get into those sorts of things and those aren't really useful business conversations because at the end of the day, you're going to say, okay, great. Here's my piece of the pie. And, you know, maybe I'll get a pat on the back at the board meeting, but what has actually been accomplished from a business perspective? Very little, I would argue. So it's it's far better to have a performance optimization lens, I think, to view these things through. 
to say we're trying to, like you said, identify those channels that are converting at a higher rate or mm -hmm. that are, you know, if we can, if we need to make better bets as a business, if I've got a limited budget and I want to know where I should allocate those funds to produce more pipeline, more revenue for the organization. That is a much more powerful and useful from a business perspective reason to do attribution. And then it's a lot easier to say, all right, and then as part of that, we're going to devise some KPIs or some metrics that we can use to benchmark how marketing is doing. But it's less about like how, how much of this pie can we kind of hold on to and, mm -hmm. and say me, me, me about, and more like this is a sort of a leading indicator, or this is helping us know that we are headed in the right direction as a team. That's, that's way better. It's way more cooperative and just will lead to better business outcomes. Yeah. I think it's a much easier sell, like you said, if you move away from the credit discussion and focus on effectiveness. And if you go to the CEO or the CFO and say, hey, I really need a multi-touch attribution model or an attribution model that can be several attribution models, right? So I can understand the impact of my early market activities. We all know paid search is really hard to track back to revenue. And part of the reason for that is it's really an awareness piece that's driving people to your site and eventually they may interact with you, but it's very rare that they just fill out a form. Yeah. So if, if we approach it from that perspective and going to the executive team saying, I really need this kind of information to be able to dial in this thing that we spend a ton of money on, I think you'll get a lot further. There's also the risk to your point of overbinding or, or kind of constraining marketing activities by the credit lens, meaning, you know, the, the if we can't track it with absolute precision and can't tie it back every, every dollar exactly to this thing, we're not going to do that. And awareness initiatives are great examples of things that are hard to track, but are still you know, important or mm -hmm. one previous company I was at, we did a lot on ra of radio advertising and that was a really powerful channel, but it's not a, a channel that you can very easily, you know, there are, are ways, obviously, you know, yeah. um, direct landing pages and stuff like that, but you can't track precisely every person who heard that name on the radio, got an idea, maybe later did a, a Google search on their own. And so there's a risk, you know, to say attribution is, is a tool. It's a useful tool. There's a, there's a risk in saying it's the be all and end all. And we can with machine like precision track absolutely everything like You're a mathematical right. formula. And there's also a risk in saying attributions bogus and just forget it. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, there, there has to be kind of a common sense middle ground. I think when we approach these subjects, that's, that's great points. You're absolutely right. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I wish more business leaders were at the maturity point where they could look at overall performance and accept that marketing had a part to play, sales had a part to play, partners had a part to play in every single sale that moved through because it takes a certain amount of awareness for the conversations to get easier with sales. They ha there has to be some brand recognition. There has to brand, be some yeah. established trust in the market. I agree with you that it shouldn't be the end all be all. And you're absolutely right when it comes to the more, I would say, intangible channels, word of mouth, podcasts, radio, like mm -hmm. all of those things, we don't have a chip we can put in our consumer, thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and see where they came from, right? It's it's that conversation has to take place. In this is a great example, right? We're here doing a podcast hosted mm -hmm. by you know Caliber Mind, an attribution tool, mm -hmm. and um, so clearly there's some recognition even by this platform that there are top of funnel brand building things that are worth doing, even if they can't be tracked with absolute precision. 
Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there. And that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. Caliber Mind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. Caliber Mind unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with CaliberMind at CaliberMind.com. Another thing that you really want to clarify and define is what you're actually measuring against. And by that, I usually refer to offers and channels. And these are things that people get really mixed up. A lot of reports end up showing things that are dissimilar, like paid search and social media channels. And the same report as things like eBooks or white papers or webinars, things that people are responding to. And so you end up in this strange scenario where you're kind of viewing apples and oranges in the same report and trying mm -hmm. to say, should I invest more money in my paid search or should I invest more money in my eBooks? When really it could have actually been a single interaction where somebody clicked on a paid search ad and then downloaded an ebook. And that was actually part of a, a whole organic experience that somebody had. And so it's really important, I feel, to separate out offers and channels, the things that drive people into an interaction with your company or your product, and then the things that people respond to, and to be able to tie them together, which is one of the most difficult things to do. And I would say that, you know, five, 10 years ago, the, the first generation of attribution tools that I use wasn't good at this and just kind of like, you know, whatever you define your campaigns as, it's going to lump them all together in that way. Yeah. And then people started to get more sophisticated about this, but it is hard to do from a tracking perspective, from a, from a data modeling perspective. So that's another thing that really is important. And then the taxonomy, once you've you know made that split, the taxonomy of channels and offers, what are our channels? What are our sub channels? And, you know, I don't know, a great example that often comes up is uh, YouTube ads. Are those display? Are those social or those, you know, you can make good arguments for different ways. And, and ultimately it doesn't matter so much exactly how you define it, but having that definition and following it consistently and having that aligned across your teams, your executives, your agency partners, that's super important. Yeah. I, I think that brings up a good point where it is critical to predefine there's work you have to do before you get any attribution tool. And part of that is defining your campaign hierarchy, your types, your programs, your channels, making sure you have UTM parameters in place, and then defining how to lump those together and how to name things. Like the, yeah. your campaign name, let's say you did call it social, paid social for YouTube. If you name your campaigns consistently or decide to put in another lens, make sure that the entire department knows that and people yeah. aren't calling things different things. It, it's, it's such a simple thing, but it has a huge impact on your output. Totally. And ultimately, I think there should be some kind of central sort of guide about how you would track an initiative for any particular channel that is uh, accessible, that's kept up to date, you know, like a Google Doc or something else. And that ladders all the way down into your, your UTM structure. And there are various little tools that can make this easy. You can do it in a spreadsheet, but 
But ultimately, that that's critical because otherwise, somebody somewhere is going to go and launch a new campaign, and they're not going to tag it properly, or they're going to do, and, and that'll go into a, a black hole, and then you're in the abyss of of dirty data and all the problems that that causes. Yeah, and this kind of feeds back into being able to sell the tool or getting ripped apart the first time you show it is executives, especially in smaller companies, they hear when the data is a mess. They hear when your CRM data is problematic. They hear when marketing decided to create a new lead every time a campaign activity happened, which is horrifying. Don't do that. <laughs> but they hear these things so that if they hear you slap something on top of it and you're taking the numbers as gospel instead of directional indicators, mm-hmm. they're going to question your sanity, right? They they know if there's a problem, an underlying problem, this one tool isn't going to solve it unless you do the work to go in and fix a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, data quality is a huge issue. I mean, everybody's data is more or less a mess. Yeah. Um, it's more just a spectrum mm-hmm. of, you know, how contained is that mess? How, how limited there's always no, nobody has perfect data. I've never seen a company with no. We're, we're dealing with humans. Humans. Humans, and you know, <laughs> there's so many variables. And the more bigger the company is, uh, the more opportunities there are for things to be a mess. But can can that mess kind of be contained? Can it be constrained? Can you um, have some processes in place to limit it, to fix it? But yeah, a lot of the time you may just need to draw a line in the sand, and this is often very hard. But the effort and the work to go back and fix some things retrospectively is often greater than the value that is delivered by doing that. Some things, you know, if your account structure is a mess or something like that, you know, some things you may just need to buckle down. And or fix. your campaign structure. Or like, your camp- that's yeah. a must fix. You've got to have consistent types and but but to 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 that point, let's say you fix it, are you going to go back and update the the past? And you know, there's just good discussions to be had about. Do we really, does it really matter if that webinar from six years ago, like, does it help us to know how successful it was? All the market changes and, you know, COVID. Are are we in the more, more in the credit mindset? And yeah, it's that, it's that common sense lens. Again, I think of like, what am I actually doing here? I don't want to be a data perfectionist, but I also don't want to just sweep things under the rug and nothing to see here kind of uh, mentality. So it's, it, it is really getting back from, oh yeah, we're doing attribution and this project and I do attribution and really centering yourself in what am I trying to achieve here from a business perspective? What do I actually want to do I yeah. want to generate more revenue and pipeline? How much historical um, data do I need to form a meaningful trend? Should be an, a question you ask. So yeah. like, do you go back 10 years? No. Do you go back maybe two? Maybe a year and a half? Yeah. It just depends on your business. Yeah, absolutely agree. So what did you learn to incorporate in your day-to-day that was the most influential to your career development? I think it goes back to something we discussed earlier, which was that ability to ask questions and really understand the ideas, the assumptions that various stakeholders are bringing to the table. There's a a process in, in business analysis that some folks may have heard of called the five whys, which is basically just a practice of, you know, somebody asks you for something or, or state something and you ask why, and then you, you keep asking why, you know, to everything to try to get deeper to root assumptions. And it can be a bit strange if you apply it to literally, but I think the the basic premise of digging deep, you know, someone's like, Hey, can we you know report on this? Or can we, you know, can you do that? And like, Oh, why do we want to do that? And why, and not in an oppositional or a, or a super challenging way, but in an honestly curious way, 
mm-hmm. of really, really getting at where people are coming from. And part of this, as you mentioned already, has to do with psychology. And you really need empathy to get inside the head of a VP of sales and understand what are the pressures that they're under? What are the things that they're called upon to deliver? Or the CFO, you know, what, what are they thinking about? And what do they care about? Doing that allows you to cultivate rapport, uh, allows you to build those relationships. And then you can take that away, what, what you gain from those discussions and propose something that you can bring people together around. And this, I'll say again, I do think is like a superpower that really transforms your role within the organization. People might even then proactively seek you out to say, hey, can you work on this particular problem or definition? Help us do that. But it is bringing the people together and uh, and the organization is, is better for it. So that's not a technical thing. It's not, oh, I'm so good at this system or that system, but it's critical to do your job. Because if you just stay as a technician stuck in your technical silo, you're constantly going to feel you know, misunderstood and underappreciated and feel that people are just dumping work on you or, or not uh, buying into the output of the things that you're producing. So you have to be able to get out there, communicate with stakeholders, particularly at the executive level, and then be able to do that selling, as you said, that, that brings people together. And that's been the most powerful thing from a day-to-day perspective, both when I was in-house and then as a consultant, you know, those are skills that uh, I've had to use on a daily basis. It is really career altering when people see you as somebody who can be objective and come in and fix the situation without getting emotionally mired in by the politics. It's just such a huge thing because then you can move beyond your position. And a lot of times you'll be given opportunities in even different areas of the company, which can really broaden your horizons and give you more insights into what the other business leaders are being driven by. So I, once again, Totally agree. <laughs> and it's and it's more fun, quite frankly. It's uh, yeah, it's a good feeling to have people aligned. You know, you've seen the opposite where conversations just get bogged down, and and usually, again, psychology and human nature being the the driving force in a lot of these things it comes down to people uh, having that credit lens and. Yeah. Oh, I want to, I'm taking care of me. I'm taking care of my department, and I want to make sure this and that. And it's dysfunctional and it's destructive. Yeah. And I think people recognize when people position themselves as a company person, as opposed to a department person, where you can see everyone's really, or should be moving towards the same objective. And you just want to find the best way to do that. I think that's really powerful. Absolutely. And it's a better place to work for sure. When you can come in and be like, rather than, you know, jockeying for position and nobody, nobody wants that reality. Yeah, 100%. Well, Justin, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find you online? Yeah, th- thank you again for having me. It's my pleasure. And find me online at uh, percuto.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Enjoy engaging in discussions on uh, these topics there. So feel free to connect there. And thanks again. And those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.